Turning your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9. You, what we just read is, it's interesting. Um, you see in all three of those questions and answers, the notion of sin and then sorrow, and then the idea that God in Christ has come to rescue us from sin and sorrow and bring us into a state of uh, holiness and then happiness. Sometimes we don't make the connection. Certainly the devil's pretty good at telling us sin will equal happiness, but it doesn't. Sin is already, always so- sorrow. Jonathan Edwards wrote on heaven, he said, heaven will be essentially a place of consummate happiness because it will be a place of perfect holiness. Acts chapter 9. So we looked at this passage last week, and I read 1 through 19, which I intend to read now. And last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, at Saul when he was unconverted. My intention is today to unpack verses 3 through 9, looking at the conversion of Saul And then next week, if the Lord gives us a next week, that's God's business. Uh, 10 through 19, we'll look at Paul Paul Saul. Subsequent being converted, he's received into the church of Christ. So we're going to use this. That's how we're using the passage. Acts 9, I'm going to begin to read at verse 1. And this is the very word of our holy, perfect God. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. In leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple named Ananias at Damascus. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. <clears throat> So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight, he got up, and he was baptized. He took food, and he was strengthened. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, what a wonderful God you are. We thank you for the gift of physical life. We thank you for the gift of new life, spiritual life in you, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would use all of it for your glory and to enjoy you both now in this life and that which is to come. Uh, Help us, Almighty God, receive glory and honor. Have mercy upon me and my preaching. Lord, have mercy upon all of us in our listening. May we be able to exercise um, our faith. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
if you were with us last um, time together, we um, looked at primarily two things from this particular passage as we opened up verses 1 and 2. We looked at the, the, the truth of conversion. The Bible does speak about conversion, both Old Testament and New Testament. If, um, it's, not, it's not something that only Arminians believe. Calvinists believe in conversion because the Bible teaches it. <clears throat> and we said last week that uh, conversion is the product of regeneration or being born again. This is the John chapter 3, 1 through 9. We're born again, and then we're converted. We have the principle of new life, and then we, we exercise that new life. We repent of our sins, and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that word, to, to be converted, both in Hebrew and in Greek, is the idea of turning, uh, turning from something and a turning to something. And sometimes it's referred to as a returning to something. And it's, uh, if you remember, the, the, the turning from and the turning to in conversion is turning from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. That's why I think our larger catechism question speaks about justifying faith. Essentially, it's uh, a faith that repents of sin and turns to Jesus as the sin atoner, the sin bearer. So when we're converted, we're converted to Christ. It's a conversion to Christ. And just by way of application, um, many years ago, not too many years ago, maybe five, six years ago, there was a campaign going on in the Roman Catholic Church, and it said, come back to the church, come back home, and it's the church of my youth. And I will just say, by way of application, when we're converted, we're not converted to the church. You're not converted to the Roman Catholic Church, you're not converted to the, the Protestant Church, you're not converted to the OPC Church. When we talk about conversion, we're converting, we're, we're talking about being converted to God. We come to God the Father through God the Son. We come to God the Son because of God the Holy Spirit. We're converted to God. And in, in, in what we're looking at, converted to Christ. Saul was converted to Christ. And again, by way of application, regarding this business of conversion, be on your guard. And part of my job is to not just instruct, but also to warn. Be on your guard against folks that say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian minister, I'm a Christian teacher. And they talk more about the church than they do about Jesus Christ. I would be very careful. And I, and I, have, I, I hope to have a biblical view of ecclesiology, doctrine of the church. But the doctrine of the church is not the doctrine of Christ. It's not the doctrine of salvation. I'm not saying that they're not connected that God gives the church the Bible and we present Christ, but they're not the same. The church is the body and never takes the rights of the head. Does that make sense? So if you go and it's the church, the church, the church, mother church, and you don't hear Jesus, you don't hear Christ, come to Christ, follow Christ, I would run for the hills. Uh, we are converted to Christ. And so we see that. So basically this passage teaches us the idea of the truth of conversion. In verses 1 and 2, we learn the truth of conversion by looking at the truth of non-conversion. We see in verses 1 and 2, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. We see in verses 1 and 2, he's still unconverted. We meet him earlier in chapter 8. Um, he's approving of the stoning of Stephen and all of these kind of things. He's breathing out murderous threats. And so we have in verse 1 and 2, uh, the example and the illustration of an unconverted person. And we said also that Saul stands as he's a member of the visible household of faith in the Old Testament. He's an unconverted man in the church. He was circumcised. He took the Lord's Supper. He's a minister, and he's unconverted. And this is what an unconverted person looks like. 
They hate Jesus Christ. They hate the gospel of Jesus. They hate the notion of pure grace. And why would a Pharisee hate the idea of pure grace so much? It's pretty easy to answer. Why do Pharisees hate pure grace? The only way that we're saved or justified or we're converted is because God gives it. We're utterly dead. Our best works are considered what before a holy God? Filthy. Right. Pharisees do not like that. Pharisees don't like being told that their super-duper good works, you tithe dill, you tithe mint, ooh, ooh, boy, that's big, that that's considered as nothing. I go to church 10 times a day, I flagellate myself 20 times a day, I read the, the catechism in Ugaritic, and boy, I'm earning my way into heaven. And God says, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. The only thing that stands between you and hell is the righteousness of my son. It's all gift. And beloved, just like we should beware of folks that talk about the church more than they do Jesus, beware of folks that talk about their own faithfulness more than they talk about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to extol the work of Jesus, not our works. There is a connection between our faith in Christ and then our faithfulness to the, to the word of God. There is a connection. It's the Paul and the James business. But be careful that folks are not telling you, oh, hey, the gospel is you being faithful. No, the gospel is you being believing in the faithfulness of, of Christ. And so Pharisees tend to hate pure grace because it, it says that what they are doing is nothing. And that's a picture of an unconverted man, and such we see. The basic lesson considering Paul, as we're trying to look at Paul when he's converted, Saul's Paul when he's converted, is just like there is the truth of conversion... There is the truth of, of non-conversion. There, it's, there is such a thing as being unconverted. And I know that seems overly evident or, or almost like sinfully uh, evident, but I, I don't think it is. Being converted obviously means we've repented of our sins and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two classes of folks. And Saul Paul shows us the two estates in which we can find folks regarding conversion. You are either converted or you're not. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite guys, says you are either truly born again in Jesus Christ, you're a true Christian, or you're not. There's no middle ground to occupy between being unconverted and being converted. You're either in Jesus Christ, in verses 3 through 9, the apostle Saul will be in Jesus. In verses 1 through 2, he's out of Jesus. We're going to talk about election in just a bit, but he's in, in verses 1 and 2, he doesn't know Jesus. And so I don't, there, there's a person that criticizes, <laughs> well, it's not criticizes, it's just a gentle, whatever, I don't know what he says. He says, you always talk to people like they're unconverted. I hope I don't. I just lay out the fact that there are unconverted people. And so I hope I'm talking to a, a group of converted people. This is what we've been saved from. Remember that from to idea? So two Christians, this is what we were when we were not born again, when we were not converted. So I don't want to leave anybody here thinking, wow, what a bummer. Why did I even go to church? This is what we've been saved from. But the, the, there is the possibility of being converted. And when I say you're either converted or not converted, this is the difficulty with biblical Christianity. I, I know there are non-biblical forms of Christianity. I was raised in one. And, 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 and they're, they're legion of folks that say, I'm a Christian, but they don't use the Bible. One of the difficulties with Bible Christianity is it's exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? 
and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is the one that says, there's only two roads. There's a broad road that lots of people are on it. They're having a big time. They make up their own rules. And it leads to hell because you're in your sins. And then there's a narrow road. And it runs right through the cross. And few find it, but it leads to heaven. You're either unconverted, you're out of Jesus, or you're converted. You're in Jesus. Jesus says it. Jesus says you either gather with me or you what? You scatter against me. So we have the truth of conversion, but we have the truth of non-conversion, of being unconverted. Unconverted people in Saul's case, let's call it the church. He's an unconverted church member. He's an unconverted minister. And I understand it's Old Testament, New Testament verbiage, but you understand what I mean by that. So it, it, it is true. Now, as frightening as that idea is, I'm using the idea of, of the un, being unconverted, what we see with Saul, which is just glorious. He, he's now, he'll be converted. When we talk about the notion of being out of Christ, it's not frightening unless we think about it. And what do I mean by that? It's easy to be a Christian, a churchgoer, and not think about this business that we, I'm talking about, right? We just, oh man, when's it going to be over so I can do something really meaningful? Christianity is an intense religion. The Bible is an intense book. It's the word of God. And if we read it, there's not a lot of jokes in here. This is an intense business of coming to know God in Christ and living here and going there. And so... It, it is a fairly important business. But if you look and go, ah, conversion, interesting concept, being unconverted, ah. you, you can only do that if you don't think about it. And sometimes folks don't think about it like their whole life. And sometimes they think about it way too late. Right? The truth of being unconverted is especially fright, frightening because if we wait too late to be converted, can we be converted in the next life? I was a, I'm 58, so I was converted at 26. And early on as a Christian, I was listening to a TV preacher. And he said, there's, he called it second chance theology. And I'm a baby Christian reading good news for modern man. I just know Jesus is Lord, love Jesus, love the Bible. And in second chance theology is this. You're not a believer in this life. You're not converted. You die and you go to heaven and God says to you, okay, so you muffed up in this life. You said no, bad choice. Would you like to make a better choice? And you say, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, I think I would. And I remember as a baby Christian going, is that true? And I called down to the church down in Atlanta and said, is this true? I'm a baby Christian. I know nothing. Can you be converted after you die? No. So the truth of conversion, but the time of conversion. The time of conversion is only in this life. The time to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus, thou son of David, is only while we live. After life, our coming to Christ or not coming to Christ is fixed. How do I know that? The Bible says it. Look at the rich man in Lazarus. Was he converted after death? No. Was he an unbeliever after death? No. You see, folks now say, I don't believe. Okie dokie. I'm not converted. Okie dokie. 
when you die, you're not going to be converted, but you won't be an unbeliever anymore. Do you know what I mean? This is a Philippians 2. Everyone that dies unconverted actually will completely know that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the truthfulness of conversion, the time of conversion. But here's the good news. Look at verse 3 through 9. Saul's still alive. The time is this life. And in verse 3 through 9, Saul is still alive. And I know, well, boy, that's super basic. It is super basic. When we think of life, um, what is life? Where do we, we, where do we get it from? Who do we get it from? What's it for? I'm going to argue that life is a gift of God. And preeminently, it's this gift of God so that we would know God. J.I. Packer, I differ with him in some, some things. But J.I. Packer said, once you figure out that pretty much the gist of life is to know God, then some of the other problems in life kind of work themselves out. The whole purpose in life is that we would know God. And the only way that we can know God is we can know Christ. So God has given us life preeminently so that we could glorify God and we can enjoy God in this life and forever. But we think about life wrongly and therefore I think we squander the time. If we thought, God has given me physical life and all of the things of my life so that I would recognize Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior and that I would live for him, it would radically change things. I would argue, beloved, I don't know whether we're a post-Christian nation. I, was, I tend to be amillennial and I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with personal eschatology than I am with some of the other forms of es- eschatology. Personal eschatology is you're going to die and meet God. <laughs> That's where my passion lies. So the, the, the amill, the postmill, I'm amill by default, but I'm really passionate about personal eschatology. But the notion of our life here in our, our country, perhaps I would argue that our country no longer values life. We don't, we, don't, we don't value it, and we don't know why we have it. And I'm arguing that it's so that we know God, savingly, is why we have it. Why would I say that we no longer value life? Or would you differ with me? Would you say, no, Pastor, I think we really do value life. Do we really? Do we really? You know, I, I'm not a big fan of, like, arguing on, online. And every time I, I, I want to do it, I always pull my arm back. Because it's not a good venue f- for doing anything, because it's blip, 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 and then you go bananas. And I watched, I read something Oh, a fetus, and the fetus is progressing. I mean, it's like a human being, and it's not progressing. It's called life, and you're killing that fetus that you're calling progressing. That's what they call, this, this is dehumanizing, and so you commit genocide. So we kill babies in the womb just for convenience. That's a death culture. It's not a life culture, and we kill them on the back end when they're too old. We're, we, you know, granny's getting way too old. We can't make the trip from Louisiana down over to here. She's gone. And what passes for entertainment in our country? A couple of years ago, what was it like? Death, zombies, like vampires? Christians are like, yeah, the great, the vampire book. What are you, out of your mind? This is a death culture. And what we see, and I know this is going to be basic, Paul's still alive, Saul's still alive. He's a gift of God. It is a gift of God that he would know Jesus. He's still alive. And so we sometimes despair about people. Look at this guy. He's unconverted. He's trying to kill all these Christians. Do not despair over anyone. 
if they still have breath in their lungs, they're still alive, there is the possibility that God the Holy Spirit will convert them. We get despondent. I shared Jesus with them once, and they told me no, and I'm never going to tell them ever again. They're a 50-year-old sinner, a 60-year-old sinner. They're an 80-year-old Christ-hater. They're done for. Oh, no. 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 They, are, are they still alive? The guy's on the cross. Lord, remember me when they, you come into your kingdom. What? He's converted on the cross. So we have it. We have life. I'm arguing so that we would come to know God in Christ in this reconciled relationship. And I mentioned people that have a death culture. Sometimes even us Christians, we despair of life. I'm going to suggest that maybe we even don't see the blessedness of our life is to know and to serve Jesus. What do I mean by that? I think there are five guys in the Old Testament that want to die. Moses wants to die. I think... uh, Elijah wants to die. Job wants to die. There, there are four or five guys that are like, man, I wish I would check out of here. Why? Why does a, a real believer look at this gift of life and think, it's not a gift. I want to check out. Why? Because life's hard. And I'm preaching to the choir. Am I not? Life can be brutally hard. In your hardest days, would you exchange places with an unconverted person who has passed away for anything? Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is, this is converted soul. All of the stuff that I'm going through, I'm being hit off the head with rocks, I'm being abused, they're beating me with sticks, is nothing compared to what I'm going to experience as a converted person in what? The first second we're in heaven. So we should look at our lives as believers as an opportunity. This is a John chapter 17, verses 1 through 17. To know God, to know Jesus, and to love him, and to serve him, and to enjoy him. So Saul's still alive. There's still hope that he would be converted. Though I understand that Christian people, we sometimes, we give up on sinners And so here we have this particular fellow, Saul. Come to verse 3 and 4. The occasion of him being converted is he's traveling to Damascus. He has plans to destroy the religion of Christ and to destroy the people of Christ. That's his plans. He woke up in the morning and said, here's my my game plan for today. I'm going to destroy the religion of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. That's the game plan. Well, as Presbyterian Reformed people, we believe this doctrine, which I think is biblical, of course, the sovereignty of God. Do we believe the sovereignty of God? And what does the sovereignty of God mean? It means that God is God and we're not. He's Lord. He does whatever he wants. This is Ephesians 1.11. He's planning everything. So the Apostle Paul, Saul says, here's my plan. I'm going I'm to destroy all these Christians. And Jesus says, here's my plan. Whose plan will win? Christ's plan. And are you thankful for that? You ever sometimes think, my will be done. My will be done. Forget about your will being done. My will be would be done. 
my wife and I play this game. It's an alternative universe game. We shouldn't play it. I was converted at 26. She was my college girlfriend, and we were unconverted. And I always say, don't you wish we were converted in college? No, I was pretty bad in high school. I wish I was converted in high school. No, I was a scallywag in junior high. I wish I was converted. And then I have to go back to like two, and then I have different parents that were also converted, and you live in the alternative universe. Beloved, if we could run the show, it was the our will be done and not his will be done, we, we would botch things. It would be a horrible mess. God is orchestrating everything. He has Saul born Saul. He raises him up to be a Pharisee. Here he is, this loon who hates Jesus. And what's he going to do? I'm going to save that guy. And he's going to write 14, 13 or 14 of the, of the 27 epistles. He's going to write two-thirds of the Bible. The greatest Christian ever. That's the guy. What does the Bible say in the book of, is it Isaiah? God says, my ways are what? Not your ways. Who would come up with the Christian religion? The second person of the eternal Godhead the second person of the triune God will become man. He'll die for sins. He'll, he'll rise from the dead. We'll believe in him. He'll take sinners and make us saints. And he'll advance his kingdom. No one would do this. The religion of man is the religion of Islam. I'm going to kill you with a sword. Now, now convert. That's the religion of man. But that's not the religion of God. And so here we have this occasion of God carrying out his divine, providential, sovereign government. And I'm going to say, before we look at some of the particulars, Saul's conversion happens from verses 1 and 2 and the 3 through 9. It happens in a moment in time. And I'm arguing like a classic Protestant that conversion happens in a moment. It's not, it's not a process. I'm not arguing that the Holy Spirit's not drawing you in for a while. But you are born again in a moment. You're converted in a moment. The Bible says in Colossians 1.13, round about there, that we were translated from the kingdom of darkness and death and we were translated or brought into the kingdom of the beloved, the kingdom of light and life in a moment. Again, I'm not saying that we always recognize it like Saul could say, I had this radical converting ex conversion experience. I can tell you the day and the socks I was wearing. It was then. Many of us, don't know the day we were born again, the day we were converted to Jesus, but it does occur in a moment. It's not a process. I'm not arguing that we can all say that was the day, but we do go from sin and darkness and slavery to the devil to freedom in Jesus. It does occur. So a little baby doesn't know that the little baby has been born until the little baby is like 12 years old. You can actually describe the process. But you're born in a moment. You're born again in a moment. He goes from being a Christ hater to a what? A Christ lover. And we would never think this. We would never think this. If you brought this guy into the church and you saw him when he was unconverted, Saul, would you go, that guy looks like he's going to be the best Christian. He'll probably be an elder, maybe even a minister awesome. What would you think? You'd think like Ananias. What? Run for the hills. But God says, no. That's the guy I'm going to save. What does that teach us about our, our Savior, Jesus Christ? Saul's in the process of hating Jesus. He hates Jesus. He, he's not looking for Jesus. Jesus is looking for him. Jesus is looking for a notorious sinner to convert and he finds one. 
in Saul. And here's Saul, this Jew, a notorious sinner. Who did, doesn't he go looking for a notorious, sinful Gentile in John chapter 4? Remember the Samaritan woman? Jesus is, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and Jesus says, I have to go to Samaria. Well, he doesn't have to go to Samaria. He doesn't have to go to Jerusalem through Samaria. He can go another way. Why does he have to go to Samaria? This is what he's doing here. I have a woman there that I'm going to convert. I have a woman that I'm going to save. She's going to turn from her sins, and she's going to turn to me and be saved. If that woman walked in to many churches, and she, I don't know, what was she on, four or five guys? She's living with a guy, four or five husbands. She's living with a guy. This is not like, uh, I don't think you belong to this church. <laughs> Can you please leave the church? Don't touch anything on your way out. Don't you thank God that Jesus is the one that does the saving and not us? We wouldn't let her in the joint. We wouldn't let her in. Do you think when she woke up in the morning to go get the water, she said, you know, I'll probably enter into a reconciled relationship with the triune God of heaven and earth today? No. But that's what she did. If you had asked Saul when he woke up in the morning, what's the game plan to kill all the Christians I can? If you were to ask him, hey, Saul, do you think you'll ever be converted to Jesus Christ? What would he have said to you? Never in a million years. Wicked sinners. Why does Jesus save these people? Why, why, why does he come looking for Saul who hates him? Why? What is it about Jesus that he, he does it? The Bible, Jesus. We looked at it this morning in Sunday school. God is what? Go ahead, you can finish it. Love. It's love. Jesus Christ loved Saul. Jesus Christ loved Saul when Saul was an enemy. How does that work with election? I have no idea, but I know that it does. Was Saul an elect person? Yes. He's, a, he's elect in verses 1 and 2. Um, he was elect from the foundations of the earth. Was he converted in 1 and 2? No. He's converted in 3 through 9. And I'm going to say something. No extra charge for this. You can keep it on the, uh, on, the, on the audio. I'll even put it in the notes in case anyone thinks I'm wrong. I know I'm not. Being elect and being saved or being elect and being justified, being elect and being converted is not the same thing. We are justified in time. We are converted in time. We are elect before time. Does that make sense? Sometimes folks in, in, in Reformed, whatever we are, Calvinist churches, we get it wrong. Many years ago, someone came to our church and said, someone said to them, well, you think people just believe in Jesus and they're saved. And the kid who was in seminary said, yeah, don't we all believe that? Not us in this church, we believe in election. Election is God's plan to save his elect people. It's his eternal plan. But we are converted in time. And the only way that we know that we're chosen before the foundations of the earth is what? Is verses 3 through 9. We turn from our sins. We recognize Jesus. This is what Peter says. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we were children of what? Even as the rest. Go ahead. Finish it. Wrath. Wrath. So God is working out his plans to save his elect people. This is in Acts 13, verse 48. Election is God's business. It is our business to, to give away the gospel. It's our responsibility to repent and believe. 
And now he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, time. I want to see something else. I want us to see that when we are converted, we enter into a relationship, and I, I use that word specifically, when he meets Jesus Christ on the road, and he's converted to Jesus Christ on this Damascus road, who is he meeting? How many natures does Christ have? Jesus is fully man. He's glorified, risen man, real body, real soul. But he's also fully what? He's God. He is God. I have folks in my family that are Unitarians that will say, Jesus is a real swell guy. Swell guy. Super swell guy. Is he God? No, no, not God. You're not converted. Jesus is fully God and fully man. When we are converted, I'm going to say this. We meet God. We, we meet God. You're not converted to a church. You're not even converted to a system of theology. I love systematic theology. I love it. I'm a nut with systematic theology. We're not converted to an idea. We're not converted to propositions. God uses those truths, those propositions, those facts about Jesus to bring us into a real relationship with the triune God of heaven and earth. We meet God. In conversion, we meet God. We go from not knowing God in Christ to knowing God in Christ. That's a John chapter 17. Should I ask this? Maybe I will. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking, can you pass a Jesus Christ test from the Bible? That would be nice if you could. But do you know God in Christ? Have you met Jesus? I'm not talking in a vision. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you experience his love for you? That, that, that's what's going on here. And people think, well, Pastor John, have you flipped your wig? Are you some kind of like quasi-Pentecostal loon that snuck into the Reformed Church? I, I promise you I have not. I promise you I have not. I'm reading a book by Ian Murray on revivals and revivalism. These Scotch-Irish Presbyterians would make your average Pentecostal look like a frozen chosen Presbyterian. They come to know God in Christ. They know him. And they transformed their whole life. And when they come to know God in Christ in this conversion, what they, they find out preeminently what we, we said earlier. God is a loving God. He was a loving God. Jesus is a merciful Christ. This was the thing for me when I was converted to Christ out of Roman Catholicism and I started reading the Bible. It was the compassion of Christ that I found in the Bible. His mercy that drew me. Beloved, we can never... Am I for the holiness of God? Of course. Am I for the righteousness and the transcendence? Of course. We can never make too much of the love of God. You, you can never make too much. You can never make too much for the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God. And it's all bound up in Christ. When we're converted, it occurs in time, is a gift of pure grace, and we really do truly meet God by faith. And I'm going to say this, and I promise I'll quit. God converts this man. Saul, 
And he's going to become the Apostle Paul. The usefulness of this time, this particular time, Paul was converted later in life. He remembered it. I I didn't know Jesus. I hated Jesus. Then I came to know Jesus and I came to love him. He knew that. Do you think there would be usefulness to your conversion to Christ from sin to the Savior? Do you think there would be some utility? And I don't mean along the lines of the liberties that Jesus has procured for us. Read uh, Confession of Faith 20, paragraph 1. Freedom from the wrath of God, freedom from the condemnation of God, freedom to love God with a childlike love. I don't mean that. That's all true. Jesus Christ called Paul to himself, converted him to himself to save him. And then he called him for a particular function in his church to be what? A preacher. Do you think his conversion to Jesus out of Pharisaism and hatred of Jesus would be serviceable to his preaching ministry? Yeah. Yeah. He has two lengthy discourses. I'm not going to quote them because I'm going to go too long. Both to Jews and to Gentiles. Well, Agrippa II. He, he uses on two occasions and then more. He, he's preaching the gospel and then he says this. Let me share my testimony. I hated Christ. I loved myself. I thought it was righteous. And then I met Christ. And I said, all my righteousness with filthy rags and only Christ. And I count everything. I crucify the world. It's only Christ that I live for and I, I want to die for. And, and you should come to this Christ. Well, and I, I'm going to say this, and you know it's true. Some of us who are older, I'm 58, we look back at our mom and dad, or my mom and dad are dead, but we look back at our folks and think, I wish my dad or my mom could have done this or that. The older you get, it should work this way. Maybe your dad or your mom didn't have it. Maybe maybe they did not have that gift. Maybe they didn't have the gift. They couldn't give you what you wanted from them because they didn't have it to give. Beloved, it's like that with, with Christ. You can't give away what you don't own. You can't recommend Jesus is lovely, Jesus is good, Jesus will save you, Jesus will transform you. Unless you own those things. I'm not saying you can't move your lips. I'm not saying you can't read John 3.16. I'm not saying you can't even be a minister. But I mean you can't recommend the goodness of a Christ that you don't know. And that's the utility of, of Saul's conversion. He went around telling everybody, Pharisaism, that's nothing. Let me recommend the one that's everything, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I, 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 I pray that we would have, we're not all preachers, I'm not an apostle, but we would have a taste of that. That we would grow in our love of Jesus Christ and that we would be active in our recommending to him to everyone go looking for a person that doesn't know him go looking for a person that's not converted and tell them let me tell you what my life was like before I knew Christ and let me tell you about my life after I met Christ and let me tell you about my Christ may God be pleased with the preaching of his word